My text for today is taken from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, the last part of that verse, but I want to read it in its context, so I'll begin reading Ephesians 6 at verse 10 and read through verse 18. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10, with particular attention to the command to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it. Beloved of the Lord, Paul's letter to the Ephesians sets forth many great doctrines of the faith. We think of the opening chapters that speak of God's sovereignty and uh, the second chapter that speaks of uh, salvation by grace through faith and not of yourselves but uh, the gift of God, not of works so that no one can boast. Uh, The great uh, glorious gospel of uh, God's sovereign free grace is set forth in the opening chapters of this letter. But then beginning with chapter 4 of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he begins to make application of the doctrines that are set forth in the first three chapters. He admonishes us to live a life worthy of our calling in the Lord. And he begins to describe what that life is like. You can, uh, I'm sure, remember that uh, he has a section uh, about how husbands should love their wives and wives should be submissive to their husbands and children should be obey their parents and slaves should be obedient to their masters. And there are admonitions for avoiding sexual immorality and always speaking the truth and all kinds of practical applications of the doctrines of the faith. But the Apostle Paul knows that living a life that is worthy of our calling, putting into practice the great doctrines of the faith is not an easy thing. And so he concludes his letter with an admonition to be strong. Be strong in the Lord and put on the whole armor of God because in this application of truth you you have an enemy And you have to struggle against that enemy. It's not just an enemy of flesh and blood, but of spiritual forces and wickedness in in heavenly realms. And so if we are to be successful in living out the great truths of the faith, we can't just 
blithely go out and do it uh, as if it's going to be a piece of cake. We must determine to do battle against forces of evil and to utilize all the tools, all the armor that God has given us. In that regard, I want to direct your attention to one particular piece of armor, which is somewhat different than the rest of the armor because this piece of armor is not only a defensive uh, tool, it is also an offensive tool. You can use it not only to defend yourself, but also to go on the attack and put to rout the enemy and to take from him what he has uh, uh, wrongly usurped as his own and win back for God the things that are rightfully his. We are commanded here to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And I want to consider with you that uh, commandment, considering first why it is that the Word of God is said to be of the Spirit, and also why it is called a sword, a weapon, and then also consider how it is that we are to take up that sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, why does the Apostle say that the Word of God is of the Spirit, this sword of the Spirit, uh, take, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God? Why does he say the Word of the God is a sword of the Spirit? What's the relationship of the spirit to the word? Well, if you know your theology well, you know that there are two chief ways uh, in which the spirit is related to the word. First of all, the spirit is the one through whom the word is given. The all scripture is God breathed, that it, it comes from uh, God's breath or God's spirit. Uh, all, uh, Peter writes in 2 Peter 1, all of you, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The words that we find in the Bible come to us from men, but those men were carried along by the Holy Spirit, so that every word that the men wrote were words that God had given to them. In some manner, in some places of the Bible, it uh, appears to be by dictation. Uh, uh, God uh, told Jeremiah, this is what you're to write, and, and Jeremiah took dictation in some places. In other places, uh, it appears as if God used the uh, personality of the, of the gospel writer or of, of Paul or the epistle writers. Uh, and their own personal situation and the situations, the context in which they found themselves simply gave them wisdom to know how to deal with it and what words to use. But in every instance, the very words of the Bible are the word of God. They're not merely the word of men, but they're also the word of God inspired in such a way that this is God's word to us. Spiritual truths expressed in spiritual words because they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. But the relationship of the Spirit to the Word is not only that the Spirit inspires the Word, the Spirit gives the Word to the human authors who have uh, written it down for us, but it's also the case that you and I cannot understand the Word apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
Paul writes, uh, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God, that we may understand what God has freely given. For the man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Jesus taught his disciples in parables. And although the enemies of Jesus could understand at times that the parables were about them, the Pharisees realized that he was talking about them and they understood those things on a certain level. Nevertheless, Jesus said, I'm speaking in parables to, to hide the true significance of these words from those who have hardened their hearts. They have already hardened their hearts against them. And so as punishment, I'm not going to allow them to understand it. But to you, it has been given to know the, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And through the agency of the spirit and the life of the apostles, they were able to discern the true meaning of the, of the parables. And, and that's how it is with all of scripture, that to realize their true significance and to have them truly speak to our hearts, the spirit must open our hearts. Uh, when Paul preached uh, at the place of uh, prayer where uh, Lydia was, it says the Lord opened her heart. He opened her heart so that she could hear and understand and believe. And it was through the agency of the Spirit that her heart was opened. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. And uh, uh, that uh, uh, word of God is uh, made active in our lives uh, through the power of the Spirit. We confess in the Catechism, where does faith come from? Well, the Holy Spirit produces it in our hearts through the preaching of the Holy Gospel. And so Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. So you see, the Spirit is, uh, is instrumental in the, in the uh, giving of the Word and in the receiving of the Word. God speaks to us through His Word, and His Word comes to us through the agency of the Spirit. Now, it's good for us to take note of this close relationship between the Word and the Spirit. They go together. It's important to recognize that relationship because... We often think of, of God leading us and guiding us, and sometimes we talk about the leading of the Spirit, but we must be careful never to divorce that from the Word. It's quite common in uh, many branches of Christendom today, uh, even in some uh, uh, evangelical and some Reformed places, to say, well, you know, I think the Spirit is leading us to do this, or I think the Spirit is leading us to do that, or, uh, well, we prayed for the leading of the Spirit, and so since this is the result of, of our deliberations, this must be uh, God's uh, uh, will for our lives. I, uh, uh, in a former life, was uh, in another denomination, uh, I speak uh, uh, tongue-in-cheek there. I refer to my uh, time in the Christian Reformed Church as my former life, and uh, I was a delegate to a synod uh, in 1984 that approved uh, uh, women in the diaconate for that uh, denomination. And uh, I vividly recall the delegate saying, well, 
uh, we prayed for the leading of the Spirit, and we took a vote, and, and uh, the result uh, was that this was approved, so this must be the will of God for us, because uh, we prayed for the leading of the Spirit, and the, the Spirit, of course, is going to lead us. And uh, if we ask for it, uh, therefore, the result must be the will of God. Uh, just because we think the Spirit is leading us doesn't necessarily mean that He is leading us. Uh, God uh, can put thoughts in our head, but Satan can also put thoughts in our head, and Satan can, divide, uh, can uh, uh, disguise himself as an angel of light so that it appears uh, that uh, what he's suggesting to us is good. Uh, didn't uh, Eve, after listening to Satan for a while, begin to look at the fruit differently. And she began to see, well, it was good. Uh, and she came to that conclusion when, in fact, it was not good for her to eat or, nor for her husband uh, with her to eat, even though they came to think of it as good because of the ideas put in their head by Satan. Sometimes uh, providential events uh, occur which make us wonder whether God is leading us to do something. For example, uh, uh, someone may uh, offer you a new job in another city at uh, twice the salary that you're receiving now, and it looks uh, very attractive. It's a way to advance yourself in your career. And at the same time, lo and behold, even though your house isn't on the market, Someone approaches you and wants to buy your house at a good price. Well, certainly God must be leading you. This is the leading of the Spirit to, uh, to venture out in a new area and, and uh, to, to go forward and try something new and different and uh, advance your career in another city. But it may also be the case in that situation that in that new city there's no church where you and your family can worship in an edifying manner. And there is no Christian school for your children. And the man for whom you work, although he's, uh, uh, who has offered you this job, though he's very successful, he has a reputation of, of being a rather uh, cutthroat uh, business practices, which if not illegal, nevertheless verge on uh, being unethical. And he's going to be requiring you to work on the Lord's Day now, what is the leading of God in this matter? You know, is this from God? A great job, advancement, great salary, your house, uh, no problem with the housing. Uh, you can take that right away. Is the Lord leading you or is the Lord uh, testing you? Uh, there's only one way for you to know whether this is the leading of the Lord or not, and that's to compare it to the word of God. What does God say? What does his word say for your life? with regard to uh, keeping the Lord's day holy and to uh, always being honest and upright in your affairs and uh, uh, the, the necessity of, uh, of worship on the Lord's day, all of those things. The commandments are clear. Uh, it may be tempting, but uh, it's simply God testing your devotion to him and uh, it's not the leading of the spirit. And when uh, a synod uh, comes to a conclusion that is in direct contradiction to the word of God, all the prayer in the world doesn't make it the will of God if God has spoken and said to the contrary. Uh, we need to uh, always measure the thoughts 
that come into our head, the ideas and the uh, providential circumstances, measure them against the word of God. For the spirit never leads, God never leads contrary to his word. The spirit comes to us and opens to us God's word so that we can know God's will. For this reason, Paul says, the word of God is the sword of the spirit. But he calls the word of God a sword. Why, why does he call it a sword? Why it is, is it a weapon? Well, it's a weapon because we can use it to defend ourselves against Satan's temptations. The classical text in this regard that comes to mind in almost every, comes uh, to the fore in almost every sermon on this text is uh, Jesus in the wilderness, uh, being tempted of the devil. Jesus uh, is tempted and after each temptation he says, but it is written. And he quotes scripture, and that scripture shows that what Satan is suggesting is wrong. He turns aside every temptation with a quotation from scripture. Uh, Jesus was even able to disarm mobs by quoting scripture to them. Uh, there was uh, one mob that wanted to stone him, and uh, he quotes the Psalms in John 10, uh, 31 to 36. You can read that. Uh, he quotes the Psalms to them, and, and they are uh, frustrated in their thoughts and their thinking and their ideas, and he's able to simply go away and go to the next town to, to visit and, and minister and so forth. Uh, uh, scripture gives him power to repel Satan's attacks. Uh, the psalmist in Psalm 119 uh, says, if your law had not been the light, I would have perished in my affliction. Trying circumstances, illness or bereavement or some other trial or temptation comes upon you and God's word is there to support you, to help you, to comfort you, to encourage you and to enable you to, to resist temptation. Uh, Many times I have seen God's saints in uh, dire circumstances and uh, the words of Romans 8 come to mind that uh, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In all these things we are more than conquerors and uh, they are given the, the, the impetus to, to carry on, to persevere, to trust God no matter how difficult the circumstances may be. God's uh, word kept them from perishing in their affliction. In verse 98 of Psalm 119, it says, your commands make me wiser than my enemies. Uh, David, uh, King David, at one uh, point uh, not, uh, uh, was uh, uh, envious of the, of the prosperity of the wicked. Uh, and uh, he says, uh, but then I remembered that they are in a slippery place and that uh, they were uh, doomed to destruction. Uh, he knew something that they didn't know and knowing what they didn't know preserved him from the sin of uh, uh, covetousness, of desiring their wealth and uh, pursuing the wealth the way the wicked had pursued it. Uh, he was kept back from uh, covetous desire and from envying the prosperity of the wicked uh, because he knew things from the word of God about their end which they themselves uh, did not know. Uh, in uh, verse 101 of Psalm 19, uh, 119, 
the psalmist says, I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I may obey your word. I have not departed from your laws. Uh, the law of God describes to us the wrong way. Uh, many of the commandments are do not do this, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal. Uh, the word identifies the evil path. And by identifying the evil path, it, it warns us against that evil path so that we know how to uh, flee sexual immorality and not be drunk with wine. And uh, uh, we're warned that the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, all of these uh, passages in scripture tell us don't go that way. And because uh, we are uh, warned not to go that way, uh, we are preserved from sin. But not only does it warn us uh, against the wrong way, verse 105 from the passage that we read in Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a, a light to my path, the path that I should follow. It describes the way that we should go. What is the right thing to do? Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And his commandments uh, describe the wrong way and his commandments describe the, the right way. Keep the Lord's day holy. Uh, honor your father and your mother. Uh, these are commandments that show us the right way to go. And so uh, we're, you, we can uh, use the word of God to uh, fight against sin by learning from it. Uh, it supports us in, in hard times. It shows, it warns us against the wrong way and shows us the right way to go. Uh, God's word is, uh, is powerful in teaching us to resist Satan's lies. You know, in uh, John 8, verse 44, it says that Satan is the, the father of lies. Uh, he lied to, uh, to Adam and Eve. First, he distorted the truth uh, when he said, has God said that you may not eat of any tree in the garden? Uh, uh, and that was uh, a distortion. God hadn't said that. Uh, he's trying to make God appear more restrictive than he was. But then he, he outright lied when he said, uh, you will not die. Uh, God just doesn't want you to become like him, knowing good and evil. Well, he's, he, he's not only lied to our first parents, he continues to lie. Uh, one lie that... Uh, uh, many of us have uh, had to struggle with is that, that uh, lie that, oh, one little sin won't hurt. You know? Have you ever told yourself that uh, this isn't going to hurt anybody? Nobody's ever going to know about it. Uh, one little sin won't hurt. But the Bible says, James 2, verse 10, you break one commandment and you've broken them all. It was just one commandment that was broken that plunge the whole human race into sin and death and all kinds of, of misery. One little sin does matter. There is no such thing as a little sin in God's sight. They are all equally heinous uh, and all are an affront to his holiness and his majesty. Uh, one little sin does hurt and hurt very much. Some people tell themselves, well, you know, I'm doing this now, but, but I can stop any time. And I, I will stop later on. Uh, when I become uh, an adult, when I become mature, then, the, then I can, uh, I'll, I'll stop doing these things. But for now, I want to have some fun, you know? Well, the Bible warns us, don't give Satan a foothold. Ephesians 
4, verse uh, 27, don't give Satan a foothold. Don't, don't let him get a foot in the door, even a crack, because all sin is, is addictive and progressive, and, and it's deadly. Uh, and once Satan gets a hold of you, uh, it's so hard to break away. It's, uh, it's like nicotine. Nicotine is a, a drug that is both... Uh, psychologically addictive as well as physically addictive and once once you're hooked on it it is it controls you you've got to have another one <laughs> you know and uh, you, you don't care after a while what other people might think uh, first you do it in secret but then uh, when it uh, masters you uh, you don't care anymore and that's the way sin is sin is like that too it is it's progressive it's addictive and it's it's deadly once uh, Satan gets his uh, claws into you, uh, it's so hard, so hard to stop and to break away. And so the Bible says, don't, don't give him a foothold. Don't get started in it. Some people uh, uh, struggle with the lie from Satan that says, uh, oh, no one will ever know. No one will ever know. And it could be that, uh, that, that you've gotten away with something for years and, and no one has ever found out about it. But what does the psalmist say in Psalm 90, verse 8? You have set our secret sins in the light of your countenance. God sees. And in Luke 12, verse 2 and 3, he warns us, nothing there is nothing concealed that, that will not be made known. The judgment is coming, and the judgment will reveal whether you have constructed your life out of cheap, shoddy material, wood, hay, and stubble, or whether you have used materials that are glorious and whose glory will redound to the glory of God forever and ever. Some will be saved, but only by the skin of their teeth, and others, their works will follow them and continue to bring praise to God uh, throughout all eternity. No, it will be revealed on that day. Some people struggle with the, the lie that uh, everyone else is doing it, so why shouldn't I do it too? Well, Jesus warned that wide is the path and broad is the way that leads to destruction. It may very well be true that everyone else is doing it, but do you want to be on that wide path, that broad way that leads to destruction? Is that the way that you want to go? Some people have believed the lie of Satan that, uh, that I can't help myself. You know, Pastor, I'm sorry, you, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, you're not an old dog. Anyone who is in Christ Jesus is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Sin shall not be your master, says Paul in Romans 6, verse 14, and 1 John 5, 18, we know that anyone born of God does not continue in sin. Now, the word of God gives us the strength to, to recognize Satan's lies as lies and to reject those lies. And, and so the sword indeed, the, the word is a sword, uh, by it, we defend ourselves against Satan's lies and against the discouragement of uh, hard times and uh, against uh, 
the, the wrong paths that we should follow and it describes to us the right path that we should follow. So indeed it is a weapon that we can use to learn more and more to do the will of God. But not only, not only is it called a sword because it is a great way to, to defeat Satan and to, to keep him at bay, but also the word of God is called a sword because we can actually put Satan to rout and go and, and, and into his kingdom and, and take uh, uh, captive uh, his servants and bring them out of his kingdom, into God's kingdom. On Pentecost Sunday, the first Pentecost, Peter stood up and, and preached. And he had a text, or really he had three texts from the Old Testament. And on those three texts, he expounded, he explained them and applied them and, and the Spirit used those texts to bring men under conviction. And on that day, 3,000 people were baptized. They were brought out of Satan's kingdom and brought into God's kingdom. Jesus talks about the fact that you can't uh, uh, plunder a man's house until you first uh, bind him. And uh, Jesus uh, has bound Satan so that he can deceive the nations no more. And now Jesus is plundering Satan's usurped kingdom. He has no right to be a king, but he has usurped a kingdom, this world, and called it his own. And Jesus has bound him and is now going into Satan's territory and plundering his house and taking his subjects out of Satan's house and bringing them into God's kingdom. And the instrument that he is using, the sword that he is using to, to do this is the word of God. The preaching of the word of God lifts up Jesus Christ so that people can see Christ for who he is. And as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness and people who looked were healed, so as Christ is lifted up in the preaching of the word, so many are healed and come out of the darkness and into the light. Paul also reasoned from the scriptures, we're told. Every place he went, he went into the synagogue first and reasoned from the scriptures with the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. And uh, in each place, he won converts and brought people out of the synagogues and into the churches. Uh, people have uh, done great things using the word of God, conquering Satan and defeating him and uh, winning great uh, battles all through their faith in the word of God. Uh, remember the words of Hebrews chapter 11, the, uh, the hall of fame of the faithful. Let me read to you a portion of it. It says, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign uh, armies. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. They're said to have conquered by faith, but not had to have received what was promised. What was their faith in? Well, their faith was in the promises. And where did they hear those promises? They heard those promises in the word of God. The word of God was set before them in the form of promise. They put their faith in that, and that faith in the promises of God, the faith in the word of God, 
gave them the strength to, to defeat armies and to conquer kingdoms. And so it is that the church of Jesus Christ today takes up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and goes and uh, conquers people, uh, even stubborn Dutchmen uh, like ourselves. I uh, told the council before uh, the service uh, this morning that I'm, uh, I'm one quarter uh, Frisian, which makes me uh, uh, a very hard-headed, uh, stubborn kind of guy. But uh, by the grace of God, uh, God is more powerful uh, than the stubbornness of uh, even uh, people like that. And uh, he can conquer us and take us out of the darkness and bring us into the light and uh, bring us into his church and into his kingdom and equip us more and more by the word of God, uh, training us and uh, correcting us and preparing us for every good work through his words. The word of God is a sword, a sword that is mighty and powerful. It enables us to resist Satan and it enables us to go forth and conquer Satan's kingdom. And so we are to take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. But how? How do you take up the sword of the spirit? which is the word of God. Well, again, I believe the psalmist can be uh, helpful to us in this regard. The psalmist that I read from uh, the section that I read from Psalm uh, 119. You notice in uh, verse 92, it says, if your law had not been my delight. If your law had not been my delight. One way to take up the sword of the spirit is to, uh, to recognize that the word is good, and, and we need to, to delight in it. Sadly, uh, sometimes uh, reading God's word is a, an onerous task, a, a burdensome duty that we uh, reluctantly uh, take up. You know, uh, everybody's uh, sitting around the table at uh, dinner time, and the, the kids are uh, anxious to uh, get going, to go outside and play with their friends or to go out for an evening's activity or something. And dad, would you hurry up and read the Bible so that we can get on with our lives? You know, it's, it's something you have to do. Like a, a burdensome sack of potatoes you have to lift up and carry somewhere. Uh, that's not delighting in the word of God. And if that's our, our attitude toward the word of God, we have to ask God for forgiveness. Forgive me, Lord, for thinking of your word that way and not learning to see that it's uh, sweeter than honey and uh, that uh, by it your, your servant is warned and, and equipped and prepared uh, for the life uh, that is pleasing in your sight. We need to delight in the law of God. We need to love it. We need to have a deep appreciation and respect for it. In verse 93 of that passage from Psalm 119, he says, uh, I will never forget your precepts. How does that happen? How, how can you say, I will never forget it? Well, in order for that to happen, you have to learn it. You have, you have to memorize it. And uh, I would encourage you who are young especially to, uh, to memorize God's word because what you memorize uh, early in life uh, is uh, what stays with you uh, uh, well throughout uh, the rest of your lives. Uh, memorize it. Uh, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Uh, we have uh, that word memorized and 
because it's memorized, it's there, always at the, at the ready. In verse 94, he says, uh, I have sought out your precepts. I have sought out your precepts. That is, I, I searched them. I, I, I went to the Bible and I, I began to look for things, things that troubled me. Then I, I was looking for the answer. He's talking about Bible study, about inquiring into what does this mean? It's not enough that you just simply read a passage, but you have to delve into it and say, what does this mean? What, what, what does, uh, how does this apply? He says, I, have, uh, I will ponder your statutes. I'm going to think about them, uh, meditate them. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Taking up the word of God means having a proper attitude toward it, memorizing it, studying it, meditating on it. These are the ways in which uh, we keep his uh, commandments uh, ever before us. Uh, uh, verse uh, uh, 100, uh, he says, uh, I, uh, I obey your precepts. Uh, it's not enough simply to know it. Uh, knowledge that is not obeyed uh, hardens the heart, and so we need to uh, take up uh, his word and determine that I will obey it. He says, I have uh, determined to do your will. And uh, we have to resolve, Lord, uh, I, I want to obey your commandments. Give me the strength to obey your commandments and uh, help me to follow them more and more. Uh, the passage, uh, is Psalm 1 says, uh, blessed is the man who meditates on the Lord day and night. And Deuteronomy 6 says, these commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. The word of God is to be the, the context in which we live. It's to permeate every aspect of our lives. That's why our children especially deserve a Christian education, a Bible-based, Christ-centered education so that they grow up in the context of God's word, so that they are thoroughly equipped for the life to which they have been called. This is how we take up the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God, to, uh, by immersing ourselves in it, loving it, learning it, memorizing it, meditating on it, pondering it, discussing it uh, with our families, uh, with our children, teaching our children, and bringing them up uh, as uh, people of the book. It forms the very context and the culture of our lives. Take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, so that you may be able to, to fight the good fight of faith. What would you think of a soldier who in preparation for battle, perhaps a soldier on a modern battlefield in Afghanistan, one of the United Nations forces there, uh, he, uh, his uh, lieutenant says, uh, we're about to go out on a mission, so I want you to, uh, to get yourself ready. So this, uh, this young soldier, he puts on his uh, Kevlar bulletproof vest, he puts on his camouflage uh, fatigues. He puts on his combat boots. He puts on his helmet. He gathers all his survival gear on his belt. 
He gathers up his uh, communication devices. He gets his night vision goggles, his binoculars. He has a flashlight. He has rain gear. He has a couple of uh, MREs, meals ready to eat. Uh, he, uh, he, got, he has all the, uh, the equipment that he needs, but with all this equipment, he decides, you know, today I don't think I'm going to bring my rifle with me. He's taking everything else, but he's not going to take his rifle. He makes that decision. What would you think of such a soldier? Well, let's be frank. He's crazy. <laughs> to not take your, soldier, your, your rifle when you're going to go on a mission and engage the enemy, you might as well just go out on the, on the front line and stand up and say, shoot me, because... Uh, uh, you're, you're thoroughly unprepared for battle if you, if you don't have that rifle there. That rifle is what you, what you use to, to defend yourself against uh, the enemy and, and what you use to defeat the enemy. That, that is the key weapon for engaging the enemy. We would think that any soldier who would not take his rifle into battle is, is just plain stupid and as good as dead, practically. And, and not only is he endangering himself, he's endangering his comrades as well. But as crazy as that sounds, there are many Christians, many who profess the name of Jesus Christ, who don't take up the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. They know that they are being called to wrestle against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly realms. They know that life isn't going to be easy. The elder read this morning the list of names of the young people who are intending to make a public profession of faith. Well, once you make that public profession of faith, you can be assured that our spiritual enemy is going to make you a, an even bigger target. Uh, he's going to be more, amount a, a more intense attack upon you to, to undermine your public profession of faith. And if you're like that United Nations soldier in Afghanistan who thinks he can go and meet the enemy without his rifle, if you think you can meet your enemy without the sword of the Spirit, you're crazy. You need to take up that word and to take it up every day and to take it up again and again so that you might be thoroughly equipped to defeat the enemy, to take your stands and to remain standing and to go forth and conquer in Christ's name. And not only the young people need that, but no matter how mature you are in years, you never outgrow your need for the Word of God. Sometimes we think that uh, because we are of mature years that uh, we, we know everything and, and now we can kind of uh, coast into, uh, into, the, into the final uh, years of our lives and into the kingdom of God uh, with the momentum that has been uh, gained from years of past service. Not so. The path ahead is filled with traps and snares. Satan never gives up. He's filled with blind fury against those who follow Jesus Christ and determined to uh, 
undermine your faith and separate you from faith in Christ or at least rob you of the joy of your salvation, no matter how old and experienced you may be, he's constantly going about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And if you don't have the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, you will not be able to stand. You will go down to defeat. May God give us grace to honor our Lord Jesus Christ and to show our gratitude for the free forgiveness that is ours through faith in his name. May we show our gratitude and our love for him and all that he has done for us by indeed utilizing the weapons that he has given to us, especially taking up that sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Amen. Let us respond to God's word by singing together hymn 53, a mighty fortress is our God, and we'll sing the four stanzas. Amen.